0: Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, currently brought to you by Grampians Community Health. My name is Gareth Olver. Thanks for joining me. We're going to follow up last week's discussion on the 16 Days of Activism and Family Violence with a discussion with one of our senior family violence practitioners, Kay, and we're talking about why people don't always leave situations where they are in a position where they're suffering from family violence or domestic abuse why they may stay, what barriers they may face in leaving, and just a bit more stuff about family violence in general, which, as of course you learned last week, is a real scourge in our community. With a woman losing a life at the hands of a partner or ex-partner every week in this country, it's going to be a good chat. I hope you guys enjoy it. This is the community's Our Middle Name podcast, and it's proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health for you, your family, and our community. <laughs>
1: Uh, this week, I'm joined by Kay, who is a senior family violence practitioner here at Grampings Community Health. Thank you for giving up some of your time, Kay. Thank you, Gareth. It's a pleasure. So we're following up on last week's podcast uh, because we're still in the 16 Days of Activism and we're talking about family violence. We're going to talk a bit this week about why people leave family violence or why they don't leave family violence, and if they do leave, why they might come back. So, Kay, before we get into that stuff, can you just give us a bit of a background about yourself, about your career, about how you've been doing this, what got you into this field, stuff like
2: that? Uh, Well, I am a a victim survivor of family violence and was raised in it as a child, so know only too well, the impact it also has on children. I didn't get into the community sector until I was 40, before I started studying, a very late bloomer, four children, single parent. and. Got into homelessness and family violence, and I just took to it like a duck to water. Absolutely loved it. Found my niche, uh, and I've been a case manager ever since. So uh, I worked with Family Violence for about seven and a half years. Intensive case management. I did regional integration coordinator across the region with White Ribbon Days and uh, family. There were family violence network meetings back then. I used to coordinate those, um, and I went across to dual diagnosis and so mental health and. Um, addiction, did that for a couple of years, and then I did a forced move to Geelong uh, to support my daughter and my granddaughter and worked for Matchworks as a uh, disability em- employment consultant. I uh, did that for a couple of years, and then I came back to Horsham because this is where my my friends and my networks are. Um, and then I did so, two weeks teaching across Horsham, Hamilton and Warrnambool uh, at the Palmer of community services. And then I came back and found violence, which has always been my passion. So, and here I am.
1: That's a pretty extensive resume you've got, Kay, you've built up <laughs> over the years. Travelling from Horsham, Hamilton, Warnable would have taken a fair bit out of your day, I'd imagine. Yes, yes. It was a three hour trip to Warrnambool.
2: Um, and the Hinky Highway, the worst part was, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, dodging kangaroos and emus.
1: <laughs> yep, yeah, I completely understand. It's funny. We were talking before we started recording about, you know, how, how our family experiences, our lived experience often for people in, in these sort of fields, in the community service fields, pushes them down that path. And I mentioned how uh, I first got into disability as a teenager because I have a disabled family member. And uh, you're the second person in a week on this podcast who has gone into the family violence field being a, a cycle breaker. Do you find that makes it easier to deal with with the clients who are coming in. Um, I'm not saying that other people don't have empathy, but do you find you can empathise a bit more from a personal point of view with some of the people that you work with?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, I do. I think you know it's a, it's a, it's a catch twenty two sometimes because I think sometimes having my the history that I have, it can also I'm also going to be very mindful of triggers. Because of the different clientele, you don't know who's coming through the door, you don't know, you don't know their story until you hear it. And I've had, I've had some time over the years where I've had triggers, um, and then realized, oh, you know, so that, that reflective practice is absolutely crucial in the work that we do. Uh, because we all have our own stories, we all have our own baggage. So, um, I, and I've done a lot of intensive work over the years to unravel all my baggage, so that I can work with these people. because of my upbringing, I pick up on things that an average person may not pick up on. I pick up on words, or I pick up on a quick glance across, or just the, the little things. These little things that happen that I can actually that I can actually pick up on very quickly. So I have quite an awareness of my surroundings because as a child, I was always scanning my surroundings. You always, you were always on on eggshells. And it certainly helps me with what I've experienced in in my lifetime. Um, Definitely, with clients that come through, it's I have that empathy, I have that understanding of of what that might be like for them. I can actually sort of walk beside them and put myself in their shoes, which I think is. um, And and a lot of people can do that. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that you need. You need life experience in order to do that because that's certainly not, certainly not true. Some people are empathetic and they just have that ability to work with people. So, but it's certainly, um, uh, really important to, to be empathetic and to have those listening skills and, and believe their story.
1: Yeah. I think that's important in pretty much any of these community service fields yeah. really, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So in, in the time you've been, you've been doing this sort of stuff and you said you've been doing it for a number of years, have you seen many changes? Has it been, Changes for the good, changes for the negative. In your experience, what do you think the difference is now from when you started, you know, back after you did your study? Uh,
2: so when I came back in, I there was a big change in the funding side of it. We, we used to have those buckets of money back then when I was doing it. And the Marum, obviously the Marums come in. Come in. The sad part for me is, is unfortunately, it still takes debts. It still takes a woman's debt. I mean, Luke Batty was... An example of the matter, you know, it, it still takes something to, that if something happens, like the, a death of a woman or a death of a child, in order to change system, the, our systems. So, you know, I always use I always use the upstream downstream, which is something I picked up years ago in, in some training from Women's Health Guardians when I was back at Dan the first time, and it's like we are at the bottom of the stream pulling women and children out. But, you know, why can't we be at the top of the stream, stopping them from falling in? And I still think there is a lot of work being done in that space, absolutely without doubt. There is a lot of work. But I still think we could be doing more top stream to, and part of education, this education stuff is, is part of that. I think, you know, I think it should be starting, this respectful relationship should be starting way back in, way back in kindergarten <laughs> honestly because we are molding our next generation we are all products of our parents every one of us whether we like it or not we are products of our parents so there's a lot of changes that have happened a lot of work has been done but i still think there's still room there's always room for improvement you know i'm big on quality quality improvement there's always room for change there's always room for improvement there's always things we can do better
1: yeah, I, I agree with that 100%, I think, and especially what you said about teaching this sort of stuff to, to kids at it from a very young age. And I spoke a few weeks ago to the Resilience at crew, and one of their things is about teaching that, that empathy and mindfulness uh, with kids starting in basically early primary school, which yeah. I think is a fantastic thing. Now, just just one other thing, just for people like myself who might be a little bit ignorant of some of the terms, can you explain what MARIM is?
2: Oh, sorry. It's the um, it's the multi-agency
1: risk assessment management. Well done. <laughs> I, I, I saw you. I saw you having to think for that, and I thought, oh, well done. Yeah. So, so when you say you know Marum's involved, does that mean that you're working collaboratively with other agencies to on, yeah, so, on things? Yeah. Um, and so you
2: know, we we do part of our role as Specialist in violence is we do the comprehensive risk assessments. That's the brief risk assessments are now done by other external providers outside of family violence, and we do the comprehensive risk assessment on the woman. Uh, we do the comprehensive safety planning when that comes through, when we first pick them up. So, which is, gives us a level, by doing the risk assessment, it gives us a level of the perpetrator's behaviour. It gives us, um, the level of her risk, whether she's low, medium, or high. And what mechanism, what needs to be put in place in order for her and her children to be safe, whether it be in their home or whether they are
1: leaving. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk a bit about today is about people who are suffering from family violence, women or children. Because let's face it, it's predominantly women and children. About mm-hmm. one of the one of the things we often hear is, "Why did she go back?" Or things can't have been that bad, she's still there. And I know you you contacted me about. Maybe uh having a chat about this and getting some of the myths about it busted. So I'm just gonna put the question to you simply uh as I can. Why do people not leave these situations when they're in situations of family violence? So if she's in a um
2: in a relationship or in a marriage, you know, and I've worked with some that have been twenty three years, thirteen years, never ever reported a single incident and yet that had 13 years or 23 years of some of the most horrific family violence inflicted on them. And you know, it starts off the honeymoon stage. This is a nice guy and it gradually it creeps in and he starts to, he basically starts to program her, manipulate and she becomes so used to it that it becomes an acceptable, just, it, it just is. This the way things are, and you know, depending also on her history, you know how he's she's been raised, how he's been raised. Because you put two baggages together, they don't mix. She she is so you know, if he's if he's got controlling behaviours and he controls everything she does, so he socially isolates her. You know, her girlfriend will come around maybe once a week, and then he starts belittling the girlfriend or or making snide remarks, and so the girlfriend goes well. I can't deal with that. I'm not coming back around. She has connections to her family and all of a sudden he starts putting wedges in between her and her mum or her dad or her siblings. So what he's doing is he's actually socially isolating her. He isolates her from everybody. She goes down the street by herself and then he's messaging her non-stop. She gets home and where have you been? What took you so long? Uh, Who have you been talking to? Who did you see? Oh, yeah, you're out running amok with with this person. I know what you're doing. You're cheating on me. She gets to a point where she just thinks, it's not even worth it. It's not worth going down the street. So she becomes isolated again. So she just stays home. And that becomes her world and the children. And sometimes you'll find with her is that she will accept all his abuse, all his physical verbal, and they don't actually see that the children are, uh, you know, well, he's not hitting the children, he's not abusing the children, but the children are listening to it on a daily basis and it's still affecting them. You know, or she will accept that, well, he can do this to me, but as soon as he touches the kids, that's it. She won't, she won't tolerate that.
1: That's interesting, though, that you say that the children are watching it. So the, the children are taking in that emotional trauma, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. these, Absolutely. We, we hope that it doesn't become a cycle, but unfortunately, I'm sure you've seen this, it, it often does, and these yeah. cycles can be hard to break. The children think it's normal. One of the leading causes of homelessness in this country is from family violence, especially for women aged 50 plus. Do you think it takes people... That long to get to the point of saying enough is enough, or or sometimes. what's your take?
2: Yeah, so sometimes, and it could be,
1: you know, sh- she may have
2: had she may have had a number of relationships prior to the last one. You know, it may be that she's been married for that amount of years, and unfortunately, with the the older older generation, sometimes it can be old school. So it's that old school of you only get married once. You don't walk away from marriage. You do the right thing. You look after him. He is the man of his castle. And it's sometimes that's just how it is. And for her, for her to, to walk away from that, like if he's financially controlled her and he does everything, he does all the banking, he does all the, he's got all the say-so around the finances, she walks away with nothing. She could walk away with, if she's lucky enough, she'll walk away with the clothes on her back. And we've had him come through where they have had to flee. Fortunately, these days, with the police, you know, police are fantastic because they'll actually actually take her to the home and they'll actually allow her to get what she needs in most cases so she can pack up. But she's starting again. Financially, if he's got control of bank accounts and stuff, she doesn't have anything.
1: Especially when you're dealing with someone who, as we said, you know, a lot of these people are 50-plus. It's the biggest age group for, Mm -hmm. for homelessness. Yeah. And we spoke a bit fair about a, you know, a situation like that where I know someone who had to basically start all over again, which was in her, her late fifties. And it's, it's very tough. It's tough yeah. to see. So when I, when I spoke with Dawn last week, she mentioned that it usually takes seven or eight tries before the person can actually leave. What do you think that's the case? Okay.
2: <laughs> well, I, I think
1: when they've been living in it for so long, it's, um, it's when
2: they do leave, they're walking into uncharted waters. They've actually never experienced possibly never experienced life without family violence you know if they are raised in it themselves and then they grow up and then they have relationships that are dysfunctional and you know and abusive then they're actually they're actually they're in, in uncharted waters you know and for her to leave if she's got no money she's got nowhere to go she's got no social no social connections she's totally isolated because that's what he's done that's the whole the whole thing about isolating her so that she doesn't have any connections then where does she go you know it's just we put them in motels and because you know the housing obviously is an issue the lack of and COVID has certainly had a big impact on that so we can have them sit in a motel which I absolutely hate doing especially when she's got three or four children and you put in them in a motel room I mean that's got to be It's hard, it's hard, but all we can do is we do what we can to keep her safe. I feel for her in that motel room with four kids that are also traumatised. It's hard yards for her. And while he's sitting in the house and he's happy-go-lucky having a beer or whatever, like he doesn't have a care in the world. Oh, well, the only problem he's got is where's dinner. (laughs) She's not able to cook it.
1: It would be very, I don't want to say dehumanising, but I guess it would be to just lose everything like that and mm-hmm. I know you guys do a fantastic job and not, not just the Cranford's community health and family violence workers in general but you could just try to imagine like you mentioned four kids or three or four kids mm-hmm. having to be put up in a hotel cramped yep. little space the world's already collapsing around can you imagine what that's doing mentally
2: Yep. and the thing is the kids for the kids um, they will you know where's daddy where's daddy I want my daddy and that's all she's hearing she's hearing all this emotional stuff from her children that's pulling on her heartstrings because her kids are her world. And sometimes it's just as easy to go back because yeah. it stops, it stops all that. It just stops all that, all that emotional turmoil and all that stuff with the children. It just stops it all. It's easier just to go back and just have things go back to normal. So she goes back. He tightens the control. Away we go again. You know, the other thing is why she go, may go back is that he will message her and he will admit to everything he's done wrong and he will take ownership and he will, for the first time in his life, say, I'm really sorry, it's all my fault, which she's never heard in all that time because it's always been her fault and everything she's done um, has made him do what he's done. And so when she starts hearing all this, you know, I love you and he just love bombs her, I'm sorry, I'm going to get help now, I've gone to Grandpa's Community Health, you know, I've put my name down for the men's behaviour change. I've gone to my doctor. I've got a mental health plan. Well, she is hopeful. She just sees this whole light at the end of the tunnel that gives her hope. And all she wants is for her family to be together, her kids to know their dad like the perfect family. She's home five minutes. And everything goes out the window.
1: The men's behaviour change of Grampian Community Health is fantastic, though. Absolutely, absolutely. I've actually,
2: I've actually, um, done the training for that as well. I've actually facilitated, done some, some sheer facilitation, uh, with EPC and absolutely love it. I do. I really, I really enjoy But you know, it doesn't, it's not 100%. Unless they get insight into their own behaviours and they take responsibility for their behaviours. Nothing will change. And that's something, a message that I give to the woman that I work with. Hey, you know, she starts thinking about going back. So, okay, so what has he done that tells you that he's changed? What is it? Because, because this is not about you. This is about him and about his behavior. This is about, you know, he's not a bad person. This is about his behavior. So what has he done to change? When she goes, well, nothing. And goes, so what's going to change?
1: So what will be different? It's gonna be a hard conversation to have, I'd imagine, Kay.
2: Not for me, it's not. <laughs> but I tell us it, it is, and I'm I'm straight up. I'm honest with my clients. If I've got a child protection report to make, you know, if she disguises something to me, I tell I tell her, you know, we've been through this about you know me having to report this stuff. So it's uh they are hard conversations, but that's that's the reality. It's it's. I don't like to. I like to be transparent, and I like to be honest. That my client knows what I'm
1: doing every step of the way. Yeah, I guess it would be. You have to have the hard conversations to avoid something worse down the track, don't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And if I don't make that report,
2: and something happens to those children, or something happens to her, I'm part of that risk. Like it's that's yeah. my responsibility to help her stay safe as a, as a professional. It's my responsibility to, to report anything that's, yeah, that puts her at risk or puts the children at risk.
1: Okay, this is an awesome conversation. We might take a very short break and uh, we'll be back with a bit more after this.
0: The Community's Amin or Name podcast is proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health Grampians Community Health services a wide range of areas across western and north-western Victoria, including the Northern Grampians Shire Council, the Rural City Council, Horsham Rural City, Pyrenees Shire Council, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmar Shire Council, Yarriambiack Shire, Central Goldfield Shire and the Southern Grampians Shire Council. Services available include alcohol and other drug support, carer support, community aged care support and disability support, including NDIS support coordination and plan management, Counselling across a wide range of areas, including generalistic counselling, homelessness support, gamblers' help, community mental health, and much, much more. For more information, head to our website, gch.org.au, or give us a call Monday to Friday on 5358 7400. We also have offices in Ararat, Stahl, and Horsham that you can visit. Business hours Monday to Friday. Grampians Community Health is here for you, your family, and our community, and are proud to present. The Community's Our Middle Name Podcast.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with Kay, who's a senior family violence practitioner here at Grant Inns Community Health. Kay, before the break, you mentioned the Men's Behaviour Change Program, and you worked a little bit in that space. Can you just give us a bit of an overview? What is the Men's Behaviour Change Program, or the MBC? What do you, what do you do? What are your goals, uh, for people who work in that space? Uh, so the men's behaviour change is for, for obviously for
2: men who use violence and they can be mandated or they can be, they can self-revert themselves so they don't, so they can contact Grapevist Community Health, uh, 53587400 if they would be interested. They work on, so the goals are the men's goals. It's about what they want. What do they want to do? To make change, but they're also educated within that program. And you know, I think some of the guys, some of the guys who who actually who actually get it, um, who, who gain insight from within men's behavior change program, the others learn from them. You know, so it's a the group itself comes together and they and it's they're actually educating each
1: other. Yeah, that peer stuff can be super important, can't it? Mm, Absolutely, absolutely.
2: And I love the the facilitation, like challenging. Um, I think we had one 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 day where he had mentioned something about his child. So I can't remember it off the top yeah off the top of my head. But what I I challenged him on on his on his upbringing with his father. Um, You know, so what was your dad like? What was it like for you as a child? And he he had spoken about the way his dad had berated him and basically made him feel like crap. And so then I said, So how do you think your son is feeling? And it's that you can see the switch but they go Oh and they connect they connect that feeling of what it was like for them as a child and what it's like for their own son or their own daughter. Uh and that there is that's powerful stuff. That is the beginning of, of him actually taking responsibility
1: that light switch moment. And it's, it goes along with something that, uh, that Dawn said last week on, on last week's show. Uh, we need good men to call out the behaviors of men who are doing this sort of stuff who are perhaps, I don't really want to say, you know, all the stuff they want to do, but calling yeah. out what what when we see bad behaviour, calling out when we hear sexist jokes, calling out when we when we see or hear things that are just not on, you know, people berating their their children, or especially in public. For you, is that something that you have seen that we're seeing more men calling out other men about their attitudes towards women? Absolutely, like the you know the
2: White Ribbon Anti um, Violence Committee has been a fine example of highlighting. You know, men standing up. And I think, you know, the the important, the important thing is, is that people need to realize that not, not all men are like that. Not all men are abusive. There are men out there that are, that are good men, that are good husbands, that are good dads, that are not abusive whatsoever. So, and I think that's really important for people to hear for those who have been raised in the environment, in an abusive, neglectful environment as a child. That not all men are like this. You know, there are there's a lot of good men out there but Absolutely, I think um I think for it to be coming from men is really important because they're actually you're actually role modelling as a men, you're actually calling it out. If a woman does that, if a woman calls it out to a guy, they don't usually take a lot of notice, whereas a man does it, because it's that man cave stuff, they will actually go, Oh, okay, yeah, right. Hmm. And it actually makes them stop and think about it. And I think the more men that can stand up to the stuff and actually call it out, and that's across the board. You know, I know there's a lot of, um, around the sporting clubs and stuff now, there's been a lot of work being done in those spaces around, you know, gender equality and, and, and calling out, not accepting. It's still out there, but it's, I think it's getting better.
1: I hope so, because it wasn't very good when I was a kid playing cricket and well, young adult playing cricket and stuff like that. Some of the stuff you hear wouldn't fly nowadays and mm-hmm. should it, shouldn't have, shouldn't have flown back in those days either. So look, I, I really hope you're right. And it'd be, you know, we need to have good men really uh, standing up and, and being counted and, and being the ones who say to, to some of those other people, no, we're not accepting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, we all have, have significant women in our lives, all of us.
2: So I say, um, you know, with family violence, I mean, we as workers can do what we can, but it's a community responsibility. It's not an individual's responsibility. It's not a organisation's responsibility. It is a whole community. Our community needs to pull together, and we all need to stand up and go no to violence. This is not acceptable. We're losing too many lives. We're losing too many women. Too many children. And it's just, it's not okay to be in that position where a woman is
1: fearing for her life.
2: That's not okay. Nobody should feel like that.
1: No, absolutely. Especially when, you know, as we, we talked about, people, you know, do try and leave, but they may not be able to. They might be concerned about kids, concerned about finances. If people do leave and don't go back, have you seen... Where the perpetrator might then maybe using technology, social media, text messages, phone yes. calls, <laughs> not just to the to the person who they're they'll perpetrating against, but also their families. Is that a, is that something yep. that we're seeing a bit more nowadays? Uh, technology has been a real, it's um
2: it's it's big. What we see comes through our door: listening devices, uh, tracking devices tracking devices on clothing, tracking devices on cars, tracking devices on, on phones, uh, had one where everything that she did on her phone, he had a view of. I even mean, though he wasn't even in, in the house, he was somewhere else. He, all her emails went across to him, any messages she wrote, anything on Facebook, he had access to everything, the whole lot. Yep. That's scary to think that a person goes to that length in order to
1: control her. the thing is Kay, with something like that though it doesn't it, it can be so simple to do if uh, for example in, in one family you all had the same iTunes account and I'm just using that yeah. as an example I uh, if it was in my family and and you know so my wife had an iTunes account I, I could actually quite easily see what she'd been downloading mm-hmm. what she, who she'd been emailing who she'd be messaging even if I don't want to because, you know, what my wife does is, is her, yeah. up to her, nothing to do with me. It's so, so easy to do. So what's, what can we do for the, things like that? What, what do you think the, the steps are for people to protect themselves or women to protect themselves from situations like that? You
2: know, for us, we teach them to, to, we, we give them safe phones. So we actually give them a whole new phone so that she can text, she can text us or she can make phone calls without the fear of, of him listening in or him being able to access a phone. I think don't give out passwords. Don't give out passwords for your banking. Don't give out passwords for your, you know, Centrelink, Medicare. Um, and these are the sort of things that you've got to consider. So when we, when we talk about IT, we're talking about it's a whole, you know, there's, there's, there's banking apps. There's everything. Yeah, yeah. Medicare, your my Centrelink, your iTunes, your, you know, Microsoft Office. It it just—it just—it's endless. Facebook, Facebook's one of the biggest. I think is probably one of the biggest things that where he has access to all that that sort of thing because he's programmed her. Well, I want to see what you're doing on your phone, and he checks her phone on a regular basis to see who she's been calling, who you know, who she's been talking to, what she's been doing on Facebook, like what's what's in the emails, who you've been emailing, who you've been telling about this stuff. Like it's just. It's extreme, and it is extreme control. And there is cases we have seen with extreme control is mind boggling. Yeah, cameras in the house, so just oh, it's it's absolutely quite sickening. It's scary, think, isn't it? It is to think that a person will go to those lengths in order to control her. And that's about you know I think some of that is about their least uh, their own. It's about about him, not about her. It's about him. It's about his insecurity and about yeah, but. You know, it's it is. It's um. The, I think the technology has certainly made our job challenging. It also makes it challenging for her to leave, because if he's tracking her, he knows exactly where she is anyway. So yeah,
1: I mean, you you, you have the the built in find my phone apps on some things. Yeah, you yeah, yep, see yeah. See exactly where that. Yep. Person might yep. be at any given time. And one of the things that, that was mentioned last week on, on the podcast was even with the fingerprint scan to get in, if a, the woman's asleep, quite easy to lift a finger up and tap it on the, yep. Yep. the scanner and you're into their phone. It's, um, yeah, it's quite, quite scary. Is, it, is there anything that's being done from a, a legislative level about this sort of stuff, especially in relation to the, to the cyber, to the cyber side of things? with the, the, the tracking or the control or, or things like that? Well,
2: I mean tracking the person's against the law anyway, I think it's something like a twenty thousand dollar fine. You know, and then I mean it's the media the media stuff is also included in IBOs now. So he's not allowed to post on on Facebook, he's not allowed to you know post on media platforms. That stuff there is part of their IBOs, which is which is good.
1: That's well I mean that that's that's a good start, I think a good start because that's often uh, that was the thing you often see is is people there their their grievances on social media and it's not the place for it and it puts people in bad positions. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, I always say
2: dirty washing belongs in the washing machine, not on
1: Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Look, I mean, it's a it's a double edged sword. This sort of stuff, isn't it? It can be really good for some things, uh, but then other things that can be yeah really used improperly. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, I mean there's
2: so much social media out there now, you know, you've got TikTok, you've got um Snapchat, you've got so many different platforms available these days. You know, for children and for adults, it is. It's like I know, my grandkids, you know, my grandkids get you them know, my daughter won't let them on TikTok anymore because there's predators, unfortunately. It's it's a reality of of, of media. Just because a person on the Airbnb says they're fifteen doesn't mean so they are yeah. and that's why i try and teach my grandkids about this stuff you know you don't know that person on the other end you can't see yeah. them you don't know how old they are so
1: okay we're almost at the midway point of the 16 days of activism as a circuit break yourself what's the 16 days of activism mean to you both personally and from a professional standpoint um that's a really good question
2: i think you know unfortunately our work is so busy that <laughs> We're too busy running. Uh, I know for myself, I'm too busy running. But for me, it's about, it's about getting this message out there. It's about educating, educating our communities. Um, it's about our communities standing up and being aware of, you know, that family violence does exist. And it's, it's, you know, Horsham, I think, was eighth on the, on the, on the list of data, like quite high numbers, which is incredible. It's, yeah, people, People I think, you know, this should be there every day of the year, not just sixteen days of activism. It's it's an awareness that needs to be out there, um, that people have voices and that women who are escaping family violence know where to come. They know that they will be supported and they will be safe. And then there is help there is help here for them if they choose we're not about breaking up families. We're not about... That's not what it's about. This is about women who keeping women safe and people living free from violence. And I think, you know, over the 16 days, if we can get that out as much as we can and if we can save one life or if we can protect one child, our job, you know,
1: we're all doing our job. That's way I see it. It's it's a bit like AOK there. It's a great way to start yep. a conversation that needs to be ongoing. I yep. think that's that's to me what the biggest takeaway from the 16 days of activism. Yeah, yep. it's a, yep. it's it's great to, to put a spotlight onto this, this issue, which is a massive societal issue. But it's not something that we can just forget about. Come December the, the 10th, yep. um, we need to continue talking about. We need to continue calling it out uh, all all year, every day, whenever we see it. So, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that, that's my, my two cents on it yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Just not that I'm an expert in this sort of stuff. I'll I leave the, the expertise to, to people like yourself and, <laughs> and Dawn. Okay. Anything else you want to get across before we wrap it up? Just call it out. If you see it,
2: name it.
1: Yeah. And anyone looking yeah. for, for help as well, anyone who might be listening to this and it, and it might be, you know, Twigging a few nerves, get their spidey senses up a bit, uh, thinking, hey, this sounds like something that's happening to me or it's happened to a, f- a friend or a family member. There are places there that you can get help on and, you know, you can either contact your local police or contact places like Grampians Community Health. Yep, absolutely. And there's safe steps also. So uh, we yeah. have an after-hour service. So,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't feel comfortable going to the police, then by all means, give Grampians Community Health a call. You can refer yourself in for Family violence. Um, and the support's there. The help is there for you. So. And
1: there's yeah. an orange door in Horsham as well?
2: It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. be next year. It's, yeah. We're in the process. The building is looking like it's there already. So. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. The night, yeah. So, I mean, safe steps is after hours or 24 seven. And yeah, just call Ramsey's Community Health or contact your nearest police station.
1: Okay. It's been, uh, fantastic having a chat. Uh, I've learned a lot. I say that every week, but I'm always learning stuff on this podcast on the reason it's so much fun to do. Thank you so much for giving up some some of your time today to have a chat about these pressing issues to society. Thank you, Gareth. Pleasure.
0: And thank you again to Kay for joining us on this week's podcast. A lot to discuss when it comes to the 16 days of activism and family violence, and as we mentioned in the podcast, it's something we really need to be talking about all year. And the 16 days of activism is a good way to get that conversation started. This has been the Community's or Name podcast, which is proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health offer a wide range of services. Over a wide area of this beautiful state we call Victoria, head to our website gch.org.au or give us a call 53587400 for more information. You can also follow us on social media. So go on to Facebook, slash Grampians Community Health, or just pop Grampians Community Health into your little search bar there on Facebook. And we're on Instagram and Twitter as well. The handle is at gchgrampians. This podcast was recorded and edited on the traditional lands of the Jab Wurrung people and like to pay respects to all elders past, present and emerging. You can subscribe and listen to any episodes whenever you like on Podbean, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, Amazon. There is just a massive list of places where you can find this podcast. I think you can find it on Stitcher as well. So like it, subscribe it, and leave a review if you if you feel so inclined. It does help people find the podcast. It helps us get our message out there, which is kind of the whole point of doing it, to be honest. The intro and outro music was by our very own Andrew Parsons, very talented man, and we use his tunes with his permission, and that is an original recording, two original recordings, actually, that he recorded, especially for this podcast. So thank you very much for that, Andrew, of course. We'll be back very shortly with another episode of the Communities and Middle Name podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. My name's Gareth Oliver. It's always fun bringing you guys this podcast, and I can't wait to talk to you again very soon. So long.